Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 29 of Mike Check on Sports. I'm Steve Napolitani. While return to play is normally the hot topic of sports, the big talk is the splash of the New England Patriots made with the signing of quarterback Cam Newton. A traditional move by the Pats. They signed him to a one-year deal made up of mostly incentives. Also, Major League Baseball is scheduled to kick off training camp later this week. My next guest has spent his entire life in baseball. He was a player, coach, general manager, and now broadcaster. He was the first face on the air at MLB Network when it launched in 2009 and is currently about to start his 11th season as the voice of the Angels. It's play-by-play man Victor Rojas. Victor, how are you? I'm doing all right, uh, as well as to be expected, considering everything that uh, our, our country's kind of going through right now. But uh, it's good to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel as far as uh, baseball perhaps getting back to uh, quasi-normal. Absolutely. And it, and it seems like you haven't slowed down much since baseball took a pause. You launched a big fly baseball show. Did you just need something to keep you busy? Yeah, we were, uh, Joel Goldberg and I, he, uh, he's a member of the Royals broadcast crew, uh, been friends for a long time. And we had talked about in the past about trying to get together and doing a podcast. And then when, uh, when everything happened back in March, we figured, well, let's go ahead and, and try to put something together um, to one, kind of pass the time and two, maybe, you know, do something that would uh, have some life after uh, all of this is done. And so, uh, you know, we started off doing a Monday through Friday show and we went to a, a three times a week uh, format. Mm-hmm. And now that we're getting ready to get back towards the end of July because of our schedules and the like, we're probably going to do uh, once a week and then maybe in the off season, go back to uh, two or three times a week. We'll see what, what happens, how it plays out. But we, we're having a great time doing it. It's fun. Uh, the feedback's been great. And, um, you know, we'll see where it takes us. That's great. Uh, and you were born in Miami, grew up in Kansas City while your dad, Cookie Rojas, was playing for the Royals. What was life like growing up the son of a major leaguer? Uh, it was cool. I mean, it was really cool. I, I didn't really have an idea or full-on concept of what, uh, you know, other than my dad had a pretty cool job, uh, <laughs> you know, about fame or anything like that or the impact that maybe he was having on, on people in his community. And whether it was Philadelphia early on or, or Kansas City towards the tail end of his career, um, you know, I tell the story that he was, he, I was in fifth grade when he retired in 1977. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember my fifth grade teacher, uh, standing at the front of the classroom and reading, uh, from a book and the chapter was on my dad. And it's a book I think called unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. And that's when it first dawned on me of, you know, about fame or, you know, people outside of my inner circle know who my dad is and what he does. Um, and I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, from that point on, I, I kind of got locked into learning as much as possible from him. He went right into coaching and uh, with the Cubs in 78, and then he joined the Angels front office in 82. And it's been kind of a, a whirlwind since from a, from a baseball knowledge perspective and from uh, getting to, uh, to getting a chance to really get to know dad uh, on, a, on a more personal level because uh, the connection that we both shared. Was it baseball a bus for you growing up or did you play other sports? Uh, no, I played other sports. Uh, you know, I took on uh, tennis as a pretty serious sport for myself uh, as a junior. As a matter of fact, as a freshman, I played varsity tennis instead of baseball because I wasn't going to make the, the varsity baseball team. And, and my brother was a senior at the time, one of my brothers, and uh, I wanted to play ball with him. And when that wasn't going to happen, I figured I'd, well, I'll just go and play tennis. And then I went back to baseball the following year. So um, but, uh, you know, I, I tried it all. I played some basketball, I played some football, I did some track. Um, but always at the heart of it was baseball for me. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed it. 
And he played a short time in the Angels organization, but then went into coaching first with the Florida Marlins staff, and then a year later with the Rio Grande Valley White Wings of the Texas Louisiana Independent League. What What did you learn from those early coaching experiences? Um, really, to especially at, at such a uh, young age, uh, how important communication is, and how different uh, the managing of personalities can be. Um, you know, from one guy to the next. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I was prepared at that time because I, I wasn't really quite at where I am today where, you know, with anything with age and experience, you kind of, you learn things and, and, and kind of modify. And when you're younger, you seem to be a little bit more stubborn and it's kind of your way or the highway type of mentality. And that's necessarily, not necessarily the way that uh, it, it works, especially when you get into professional baseball. And so, um you know, I, I feel like I have a, a pretty good knack of being able to communicate my thoughts a little bit clearer today than I did, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, and so, you know, it, that's that's the one takeaway uh, that really stands out for me. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy working with kids today. I, I love seeing uh, when something clicks and seeing it in their eyes, uh, even when it's not verbalized. And, and I think that's... Uh, that's a really fulfilling moment. I get a chance to do it with my son who's, who's 14 and he's kind of looks like he's going more the tennis route than baseball, but he's mm -hmm. still doing baseball. And, uh, you know, it, it's good that I can c communicate and explain things to him. Uh, and not so much the physical stuff. Cause I think the physical stuff you can kind of, you can figure out with video and, and, the, and the like, but the mental side of things and, and under and getting them to understand and think uh, differently as to, uh, the different situations that he gets put in, uh, especially during a game or a, or a match. And so mm -hmm. um, that's really what where my focus is, is trying to get individuals to think differently as opposed to just um, really focusing on, on the physical nature or mechanics. Because I think right. when you start doing that, I think you can bog uh, a young person down uh, too much and where they become too mental and are worried about too many mechanical things as opposed to just letting the game happen. Mm and reacting to it. Right. And then you got hired to be assistant general manager for the Newark Bears, which eventually led to the GM position, then led to being the voice of the Bears. Did the broadcasting part come naturally for you? I don't know that it came naturally. Um, <clears throat> I think um, it's certainly uh, an experience that uh, kind of uh, caught me off guard because I, I really wasn't planning on becoming a, a broadcaster. And uh, <clears throat> it was only after I got to at the age of 32 to decide that, hey, I think I'm going to try this after, you know, working in front offices. And so um, I, I believe that the fact that I grew up in a baseball household maybe gave me an advantage in that I grew up listening to baseball on radio because um, just listening to dad's games. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had an idea or a feel uh, for how. I would broadcast based on what I heard growing up with Denny Matthews um, and the like. And so that's, that's kind of where I developed it. But, you know, it, it was one of those things that's trial and error. And when you don't, you've never done it before and then you jump behind a microphone, you start to do a game, you know, the, uh, the mechanisms of broadcasting are certainly different when you're actually doing it and people are relying on you to do it. Than it is you screwing around with your friends and just, you know, calling a, you know, something in the living room a wiffle ball game. Right. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's that's the the difference. And uh, but it, it was a great experience for me. I, and I think the one thing that I've learned 
um, over the years has been that, uh, you know, the, the whole trial by fire and putting myself in an uncomfortable situation. I think um, if you're willing to put yourself in those situations and understand that failure is a possibility, I think you, you bring your game to a different level because you, you certainly don't want to settle for failure and thus you are adrenaline wise, mentally wise, you are more focused and trying to, you know, accomplish the task at hand. And yeah, that's kind of how I, I've always approached things. And it's kind of worked that way for me as far as my career is concerned. And I've been fortunate um, to be able to have called, uh, you know, this would be my 17th, 18th year of calling, uh, calling baseball. Do you miss the business side of it as being on the team side at all? Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I really did. Um, it was a, a lot of fun for me. Um, do I miss it? You know, there's times, uh, or there are times that, uh, that I do miss being a part of that. Uh, the game has changed a little bit, uh, from a business perspective, uh, not so much the analytics. I just think the makeup of a, of a front office has changed, especially from a baseball operations standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's more of the academia and taking more of the feel out of it. And, and while I accept and I'm more than happy to go about you know, reading up on my analytics and, and understanding the game and breaking it down, I think you have to have a feel. Mm -hmm. uh, there has to be some sort of a, a connection uh, where it's, you know, not necessarily your eyes, but there's a, when you speak to an individual, being able to communicate with them. And I think, uh, we're not just all numbers and robots. And right. I think, I think that's where I kind of don't miss that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it, if it were to come back around and everything is cyclical in our society, right. And so mm -hmm. if, if it were to come back around, maybe I, I'd explore it. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's tough to, tough to argue with getting a chance to sit in the ballpark and talk about, um, the game of baseball that I, you know, I've known my entire life. And then when you got back to the big leagues in 2003, what was the biggest takeaway from that first season with the Diamondbacks? Um, you know, that was such a, uh, it was such a whirlwind going from Newark to, to, uh, to Arizona that it was, I didn't get a really chance to fully appreciate it. Uh, you know, you, you spend two years in independent ball trying to chase this dream and all of a sudden, boom, the dream happens where, you know, you're thinking it's more of a long-term situation and it comes out of, out of nowhere and it takes you by surprise. And my wife was pregnant and we had to move and, you know, all of a sudden she has the baby in April and, you know, there's so many mm -hmm. things going on and I'm, I'm, and I'm still learning the business and learning it at the major league level. I got hired originally uh, as just a, an analyst on radio. So my job wasn't play by play at all. And so that was different for me having tried to hone my craft as a play by play guy for two years in independent ball. And all of a sudden, Oh yeah, here's a big league job and we don't want you to do play by play. We want hmm. you to just sit there and analyze. Hmm. And so that was, that was kind of a, a unique situation. And then as the season progressed, I was, you know, I was given an inning or two here or there from a play by play perspective um, and it, and it, it tended to work out. I mean, uh, it worked out so well that, uh, you know, the diamondbacks for whatever reason, and probably because I was a minor league broadcaster at the time, gave me a one year contract and the, the still unexplained situation is, uh, why they gave me a mutual option, uh, for year number two. And, uh, you know, it worked out in my favor cause, uh, they were, 
they wanted me to do more play-by-play of the year uh, in 2004, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to get paid more because I already had signed a contract. And then, lo and behold, the Texas Rangers have an opening, and they end up offering me a three-year deal, almost doubling my salary. And uh, it was a pretty easy decision, and I left uh, Arizona. And, and, and really, it was Arizona that kind of got my feet wet with Greg Schulte on the radio side, but I really didn't become a true broadcaster from a baseball perspective until – you know, I had a chance to work with Eric Nadell, the Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, and spent five years sitting next to him on radio. And what's the preparation? I mean, from being a color analyst to a play-by-play guy, I mean, how's that preparation well, I, 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 I'll be perfectly honest with you. Initially, I didn't think there was much preparation at all, right? Because mm-hmm. while uh, on radio, uh, you, know, you get two different mediums, uh, radio and television. Mm-hmm. On radio... Um, you're just reacting to what you're seeing, uh, and clearly you're doing your homework on, you know, the guys at hand. But from an analyst perspective, for me, it was like, all right, I'm uh, my job is to react to everything that I'm seeing at that moment and mm-hmm. and fill in the blanks with uh, either moments for, that I've experienced myself or uh, at even at times offer opinions on it. On television, is a little bit different because they've got production stuff that they want to get through, and so they want. You know, they want you to do the homework from an analyst perspective. They want you to do the homework and, and, and give them information that you'd like to talk about every particular game so that they can create graphics to support what it is that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes a big convoluted situation. It's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's and the same could be said for play by play on radio and, and and TV. You know, I think the purest way of play-by-play for baseball is on radio. I mean, because you are in in the moment. You are every single moment you're describing and trying to paint the picture for everyone's uh, everyone's mind who's listening on the radio or via their their phones or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. On television, you're more of a bus driver. You're a traffic cop. You're kind of moving the game along based on what the producer wants you to do um, and based on what the analyst wants to talk about and teeing them up and stuff like that. So you just kind of tee up and get out of the way. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm really oversimplifying things, mm-hmm. but that's, that's kind of how you have to look at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, is it challenging? Yeah. I think there's times there's challenging. I think, you know, 17 years in, uh, there's not, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Um, uh, because I've just done it for as long as I have, and I've been around the game for as long as I have. Um, but, and I mean that from a work perspective, mm-hmm. um, but it's a, it's a, it's a great it's a great business. Uh, man, I don't know about great business. It's a great, uh, it's a great career. Right. Uh, the business is a different side of things that right. I have uh, <laughs> a lot of distaste for <laughs> just because of the subjectivity behind it. Right? right. You know, it's just like anybody could wake up one day and say, nah, I don't like the sound of his voice. Right. Gone. You know what I mean? That's, that's the, that's the only bad part about our business. Right. And then, you know, you end up spending five years in Texas and then you be, go to MLB network. You become the first person on the air there. How much was it a transition for you or how hard was it to go from the broadcast booth to a studio setting? Um, it was difficult and kind of goes back to my point about putting myself in uncomfortable situations. And, uh, you know, I, I was happy in Texas and I had a clause in my contract that stated if there was ever an opening on the TV side that um, the team would have I would have to they'd have to go through me first, first write a refusal, if you will, mm-hmm. to, to talk about that position. And, um, uh, Josh Lewin was our TV announcer at the time. And, um, in 08, uh, the White Sox had taken me up to Chicago to talk to them about their radio position. 
Uh, Matt Vaskersian was the first play-by-play guy hired by MLB Network. So there was an opening in San Diego. So the Padres flew me out. And I, um, or not just the Padres, uh, Channel 4 did. Mm-hmm. And I, inter- I interviewed out there. And then MLB Network came around and asked me to come up and do a screen test. And so um, I remember getting to that point where I had an offer from MLB Network. And I sat down with the Rangers. And I said, listen, I don't want to go anywhere. Uh, I'd like to stay here if you could tell me that there might be an opening after next year. And I'm not saying right now. I'm not mm-hmm. saying fire anybody. I'm just saying when Josh's contract comes up, if you think there's an opening, um, I'll stay and, and roll the dice and because and, I, I want to be here. I'm happier. And they told me at that time that they weren't ready to make that decision. And so I decided that uh, I had to do what's best for my career, and that was to move on to, to MLB Network. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd never, you know, I had filled in a couple of times on occasion while Josh was doing Fox games, mm-hmm. doing, doing baseball games, but I'd never done studio. I'd never been involved in anything like that, a startup of a, of a major network. And so everything was brand new to me. I walked in three or four days before. I think Vaskersian had a Fiesta Bowl assignment that he was doing for Fox. So he mm-hmm. was unavailable to launch the network on January 1st. And they told me I was going to do it. And when I got there, it's like they handed me the rundown for the show <laughs> for that day, that one-hour show. And it, it might as well have been in Japanese. I, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know. I didn't right. know what a jib was. I didn't know what SOT sound on tape was. I didn't know how to throw to a this or that. And so it was like a crash course for three days as we were getting ready to, to you know, to, to, to launch the network. And uh, I'm glad I did. It was a fantastic experience, um, uh, you know, something I'll always cherish. And uh, But, it, again, it, it allowed me the opportunity to gain some knowledge or inner workings from a television perspective. And it certainly has helped me, uh, you know, since then. And then you went back to the booth with the Angels, mm-hmm. an organization that, you know, you played in your father managed that and then you get the opportunity to go back there was it missing the live games again or no it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that because i was doing some games i was doing thursday night games with uh, mlb network and mm-hmm. it was nice um i think what uh ultimately happened the unfortunate passing of rory marcus in january of mm-hmm. 2010 um left the void and um just a couple couple months prior to that um, the Angels had made a decision to no longer have Steve Fiziok and Rex Hudler call their games, that they were going to go with Rory Marcus and Mark Gubiza full-time. And then, you know, a couple of months, that was around November. And then two months later, Rory's passed away. And uh, and so what we had heard at the network, because I was in New Jersey, I lived mm-hmm. in New Jersey. <clears throat> you know, I had a, I had a two-year deal. And, uh, you know, we were already talking about extending it because we were fairly happy there and enjoying it. And, um, we had heard that uh, the Angels were just going to um, find someone or someones to fill the void for the year and then go into a full-fledged search, you know, after the season mm-hmm. um, because it was so close to spring training and, you know, after everything, you know, you're getting into February and March and they just didn't want to go through that. And so I didn't think twice about it until um, one morning I was uh, – usually had to go in for call time about three o'clock, three thirty, mm-hmm. to the studio. And, um, so usually about mid morning, since I'm, I'm an early riser, I'd like to take a, a little cat nap and it's about 10, 10 30 or something like that. And I'm getting ready to shut it down and with my wife in the living room. And, uh, I get a phone call from Tim Mead, uh, who is the, uh, vice president of communications and PR for the angels and now the president of the baseball hall of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've known Tim since 1982 when my dad's first started working for the angels. So since I was a kid, 
And so I've immediately thought, you know, what did I say on the show last night about the angels? Right. Maybe he's gonna, you know, it's like, that's what I'm thinking. That's that business part you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, why is he calling me? And, uh, and he called and asked if I'd be interested in talking to Artie Moreno and, and, and the rest of the hierarchy at the angels about the opening. And so I explained to him, oh, I thought this is what you were going to do. And they thought that, that was going to be the case, but, you know, Artie got involved and, you know, Artie obviously watched a lot of MLB Network since uh, the owners own the network, and he liked um, what I what I brought to the table, and he wanted to talk to me about it. And so I went out there, and I mean, the deal was done in a matter of days. I took my family out there, and I think we went out there on a Thursday, and uh, by uh, by Friday afternoon, I uh, I knew I was going to have an offer, and we were going to move to Southern California. And that's how that's how fast it happened, and I was done. Like so, when I back I went back on Monday to New Jersey, mm -hmm. I had to tell Tony Petiti, who is now yep. in the commissioner's office, um, who he was the man in charge of uh, the network, and John Entz was the executive producer, told him that I was leaving. Um, they told me I had uh, I was going to do one more show, and I was done. I, I gave him a two-week notice and everything, and they said, no, one, one more show, and you're done. So I did it on, I think it was a Wednesday. Hmm. I did the show, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and then I was done. And... Um, you know, that's it. I haven't been on the network since. And that's, that's the weird, that's the weird part about it. You know, right. 11 years or 10 years. Um, I've never been asked to be on the network. Uh, even, even with the 10 year anniversary and all that stuff, right. not one thing. So I don't, I don't know if there was some ill will there. It's not like it came out of nowhere. I wasn't, I wasn't searching for a job. Uh, but hey, I'm not losing any sleep over it. It's, it's something I felt that was, uh, you know, already wanted me mm -hmm. uh, to go out there and the, the, the natural connections. My daughter uh, lived out there, lives, still lives out there. Um, I had played in the organization, so it was kind of a dream job. And, mm -hmm. you know, here it was being offered to me. So it was, you know, pretty easy decision. And those jobs don't come around all no, too often. Exactly. Exactly. You know, for those who don't follow you on Twitter, they should really start. You know, I'm going to read this tweet. It said, MLB fans, I want to apologize. I'm watching our beloved game, a game I've learned from my dad on scorching hot turf at Royal Stadium, slowly killing itself. I feel your pain, anger. We'll be the messengers at some point. Please know I'm not thinking, please know I'm thinking of you and don't blame you for being upset. Reading that, I thought it was such a powerful message at the time. You, you apologize for something that was not your doing. You know, what, what triggered you to send that out? Well, I, I think the the ridiculous nature of the negotiations in public uh, between Major League Baseball and the, and the Players Association, and especially during a time where so many people are hurting, and uh, you know myself included. Um, you know, as a freelancer, I, I don't. I'm not a full time employee. I haven't received a check for doing a game since uh, late September, and so uh, it, it was hard to watch and listen. And um, and and the messenger part is that you know as broadcasters, we're going to be the ones that are going to be on the air trying to spin this in a, in a positive nature and be the ones that have to essentially apologize, uh, for all the mess and try to bring them back. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, it's partly frustration on my part because we haven't received any help, virtually any help from anybody, whether it's been from the from organizations or from the networks, um, during this time, yet the onus is going to fall on us, the people that are in front of the camera and basically are the ones that, handle your marketing for you on a daily basis. And so, um, that, that was, that's where the genesis of, of that tweet came from. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, nobody was talking about the fans. They still to this day aren't talking about the fans. Right. And and I felt that, you know, with everything that was going on, that it was important to, you know, I, I didn't know it was going to be as well received as it was. It was just my intent to, you know, kind of blow off steam and just let people know, hey, man, I, I feel your pain. You right. know, I, I'm literally feeling your pain. I know exactly what you're going through, um, especially for during a, a time uh, that everyone's kind of struggling through. And so I just, I just wanted to make that known. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, there's been others that I've said, I've been, I've been critical of major league baseball. Um, you know, I'm I don't probably, probably get in trouble for it at some point or somebody will slap my hand, but I didn't say anything that was directed at any one individual. I didn't say anything that's not truthful. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I think I read a quote from Rob Manfred, uh, yesterday in, in an article talking about that, you know, they need to do better and, um, you know, something to do with the fans and how, how poorly they've handled things. Well, I mean, so you're basically validating everything that I've said. It's just, it's just that I'm not afraid to say it anymore. Right. You know, maybe if I was at the beginning of my career, I would, you know, you parse your words and you, you know, you just kind of abide by things, but you know, I'm 52, man. <laughs> um, and I'm already making zero dollars so if i'm going to get blown out and make zero dollars i might as well get blown out saying what's on my heart and 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 really what a lot of people are feeling and so if it brings awareness to it and people are more cognizant then so be it um but i'm not going to apologize for anything that i've said or they've done because i'm just trying to advance the game even and i've been critical of major league baseball for the lack of diversity i mean just look at their look Mm -hmm. at the main page of their um MLB commissioner's office and just look at the, the first six pictures of, uh, of the individuals that are the hierarchy of major league baseball, old, uh, older white gentlemen. And mm-hmm. so how can you talk about diversity if in the decision-making process, and I'm sure there are, mm-hmm. um, but just visibly there aren't anybody, there's no women, there's no Hispanics, there's no African-Americans. I mean, how, how can you talk about, you know, being a game for all when you're not, you know, you're not showing me, uh, the inclusiveness just uh, within your own, you know, inner circle, if you will. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I think sometimes baseball pays lip service. Uh, I think they do things to check boxes rather than sincere grassroots marketing and, and, and outreach. And, um, and you know, that, it's not something uh, or it's, it's something that I've said before. You know, this, this shouldn't come as a surprise. I've written about it and, and talked about it. And now it just becomes a little bit more magnified because of the situation we were in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks of these negotiations that, uh, you know, my words got kind of retweeted and, and, uh, and here we are. Right. And even some people saying just cancel the season and you were, you know, I, I really want to say thank you because you were the voice for people who are out of work during this time when right. people were saying just to cancel the season. So I want to just, well, Linda, Linda Cohen's the one that, that, that really, that kind of chapped my, my hide a little bit. Linda right. Cohen from ESPN, you know, put something out there and I, and I get where she's coming from, but right. Uh, and and I understand what she's saying. I guarantee you, she wouldn't say that about hockey. She's a huge hockey fan. Right. She wouldn't. She, she wouldn't be tweeting that stuff about the NHL uh, because that's something that's near and dear to their heart. But I think sometimes when you are in in crisis mode, and as our country is in crisis mode, the world is in crisis mode with this pandemic. But as it relates to our society and to us as individuals, uh, and you have a platform like she does, and, and many others do, and I, and to, I don't have it to that degree, mm-hmm. but I, I certainly have one. Um, I think you have to be cognizant unless you're just trying to stir the pot and just make waves. You have to be able to read the room and understand uh, the ramifications of the words that you're going to put out there. And, you know, while, while an innocent tweet on her part, you know, that, 
to me was like a big F you to, to, to us as freelancers uh, or ballpark workers or cameramen or audio technicians or producers and people that basically hand her microphones, her, mm-hmm. her brothers that do that, um, that, that aren't getting paid and haven't had any assistance or have had to think about uh, selling their home or getting a second job or their marriage is crumbling or there's pressure. I mean, you know, you know, those are the things that individuals that sit in ivory towers with air conditioned, you know, uh, rooms uh, don't think about because they're out of touch. Right. And so I, that's, that's, that's where that came from. And it was, you know, upsetting to me. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm no longer going to, um, I'm no longer going to hold my tongue um, when I feel like, uh, something needs to be righted or I have an opinion on something. Um, you know, I just, I'm not going to get shortchanged. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my terms as opposed to, you know, having, uh, you know, regrets because, oh, I should have said this or I should have right. said that. That's not, that's not my nature. And then one more question before I let you go. Have you been sure. given any heads up on what the landscape of how you will call games when it all returns? <laughs> Uh, you know, um, I, I have a I have an idea because something was floated to us a couple of weeks ago. But you know, we're still on an island here. We haven't I haven't heard anything. Uh, maybe because I live in Texas and they're based out in California. That uh, <laughs> the messenger on the Pony Express hasn't gotten to to, to North Texas yet. Uh, but I think we have a call next week at some point. I think the understanding right now is that uh, you know we're not going to travel. TV is not going to travel. Um, so we'll call the home games from our home. Uh, television booth mm-hmm. and we'll call the road games from our home television booth we'll do that off of monitors mm-hmm. and uh, of course uh, you know adhering to the cdc guidelines and the social distancing and the like so that's the plan i think i think radio has the option to travel mm-hmm. uh and like i said it's a different medium so right. because of the the descriptive nature of the of that medium you there but you also have you know people nobody's really talked about it is that uh, if you look around the country from a broadcaster perspective, uh, look at the number of broadcasters that are 65 and over. And there's a lot of them. Right. Uh, you know, Eric Nadell, my former partner, Tom Hamilton, um, you know, John Sterling, Susan Waldman. Right. Uh, there's any number. Dick Brammer's always there with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Kenny Korak with the Oakland Athletics. So uh, Terry Smith of the Angels. And so, you know, those are those are serious considerations for those individuals that are in that risk group and or have had, uh, you know, health issues or are, are at risk uh, because of past health issues or family has issues. So um, those are tough decisions for them. I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, knock on wood, I'm healthy right now. My family's healthy. Nobody that we know of has, has had to deal with it uh, from a, from a family standpoint. And uh, you know, once we get out there, and who knows between now, that's the scary thing is that, you know, that's cool that we've got a, a deadline, right? July 23rd, I think there's going to be two games, mm-hmm. and then everyone else starts on July 24th. But that's still a month away. That's mm-hmm. still four-plus weeks away. Anything can happen. As, as we know, this the fluidity of this situation um, changes uh, the dynamics from hour to hour. You just don't know. So anything can happen from a, from a pandemic perspective mm-hmm. uh, that really puts everything to a halt. So while I'm excited – uh, I'm not going to get really excited until I'm actually behind the microphone at Angel Stadium calling a game, and hopefully we do that for the full 60. Well, I can't wait to hear you call a game, hear you call Big Fly, turn <laughs> Angels broadcast, and, you know, Mike Trout, the whole thing. Shohei Itani, you guys got a nice little show out there to watch every night. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's a lot of talent, and that's the saving grace when a team is struggling that uh, at least we have uh, some powerhouse names to kind of pull us through. Well, Victor, I appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on. 
You got it, brother. Take care. Be well. Victor is obviously a person who speaks his mind and lets you know where he stands on things. I wish him continued success as he embarks on his 11th season behind the mic for the Angels. Stay tuned for the next episode of Mike Check on Sports. Take care. Brush your hair.